Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. And I'm your co-host, Ryan. This podcast was created to provide you, our heroes, with new and reusable material for both players and DMs. We hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. Well, thanks for joining us today at the Crit Academy Studios, where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. Yep, that's right. Your roles are like a villain without a motive. On today's episode, we're going to hear back from Redditor Twitch Bongo Smile. Uh, about ability score increases. What a name. (laughs) Our main topic, we'll be doing an in-depth class analysis on the Druid and the Ranger. And then our final segment, Unearth Tips and Tricks, where we give you new and reusable content that you can bring to your table. But before all that, let's hear a little bit about what's going on in the realm. Justin? Ryan? So, I, uh... Over the weekend, I picked up H1Z1, finally. Finally jumped on that boat. Even though I wanted to blow my brains out. Steam gave me such, so many problems. Like, when I when I downloaded it, when I bought, downloaded the game, it my download speed was going normal, and it crashed to zero for like 10 seconds, and then go back up to normal, and then crashed to zero. And so I was like, what's going on? And then I, I switched download servers. I finally got that problem fixed, and then my Steam just corrupted. All my Steam files corrupted. Well, actually, no, that not had all to of be them. Frightening. Two of them corrupted, and I had to find which ones manually, which oh, took me no. four hours. And then I had to completely re-download or delete all the other files, and then move those corrupted files somewhere else where they're just not going to be used. And then re-download Steam onto my other hard drive, and it basically took me five hours just to download a nine gigabyte game. That seems very stressful. Yes, but H one Z one's a lot of fun. And <laughs> all that, in all that time, you couldn't find minutes to write out an about me section <laughs> but h1z1 is pretty fun uh Sounds have you ever like played some sort it? of vaccination yeah it's a well there's two different games there's h1z1 king of the kill and the other one's called like just survive i think okay. um i got king of the kill which is it's basically the hunger games you know how i told you about that game the culling mm-hmm. it's like an extreme version of that this one's in third person and there's 140 people that get dropped into this giant arena and you parachute in and you just like try to find guns and stuff and just Try to try to be the last one alive, and uh, I I've yet to win a game. I got top twenty like my first game because it's 140 people. There's a lot of people, but you can play with like groups. And so I was playing with a group of like uh, there's three of us, and so we're driving in this jeep, and we accidentally come on this dead end because we're driving through the city and we got kind of turned around. We come up to this dead end, but we're in kind of an alley, so we're trying to like turn around, and, it's, <laughs> and then all of a sudden just this truck comes screeching around the corner and four guys jump out and start shooting. They mow you guys down? They blew up our car. Oh, no. And killed all of us. That sucks. Um, but yeah, so I've been playing a lot of H1Z1, uh, doing stuff with my family because it's still holiday. Um, that's pretty much all I've been doing the last couple weeks. Very cool. Um, I'll have to look into it. Uh, kind of tied up on games right now. I've been playing pretty uh, hardcore Final Fantasy fifteen. It's very engaging. I'm loving the game, the open-endedness. Very, it's different right. uh, as far as most games are concerned. It's got a very unique mechanic where you throw your sword and you teleport to it and you can just go from mob to mob. Right. And it's very interesting. It's very cool. But it got me in the, the mood for Final Fantasy with the great storytelling. So then I <clears throat> canceled my WoW account and reopened my Final Fantasy XIV uh, Heavensward uh, game, which I'm going through and it's pulled me back in more so and i'm kind of glad i did because i like i like wow but i don't feel like 
it was driving me nearly as much as the game and mechanics do in Final Fantasy XIV. Right. Which is why I love the game. The mechanics, are, it's unrivaled as far as complexity of some of the fights. and uh, So I'm having a lot of fun with that. That's pretty much what most of my time goes into. Obviously, I do a lot of editing. I'm working on episode, almost done with episode 10 right now. So... Um, a little bit far behind in that, but that's really all that's going on. I live a I live a very boring life. Yeah, same. <laughs> so um, now that that's done, we'll move on to our first segment. I actually gave this a name. You know, we never call it that. What's it called? Let's talk about blank. I didn't even know it says that. I thought that was just like. So on our on our episode notes, it says let's talk about blank. I thought he was just being stupid. I didn't realize that was the title of the segment. <laughs> yeah, no, that, I just realized we've never actually said that's the name of the segment. Yeah. We just say the first part where it says, where we hear feedback from Crit Nation. Yeah, I didn't know it was called Let's Talk About Blank. I thought you, it was just like a, huh, today I learned. Yeah, so. Let's talk about blank. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's Let, talk about no, you Don't say and you and me. me. No, no, no. <laughs> All right, so on our first segment, let's talk about Blank. We hear from Redditor Twitch Bongo Smile. Love that name, by the way. <laughs> Plus 10 cool points to you. <laughs> <laughs> Is it possible to train certain ability scores up outside of the ability score improvement level bonus? For example... Is it possible for a character to spend time physically training over a long period of time to increase their strength from 11 to 12? Or could somebody spend much time studying and learning to increase their intelligence score in that way too, outside normal leveling bonuses? This is an interesting one. What do you think? Okay, so this is something that comes down to the DM, honestly. So a lot of DMs will allow for things like this, and a lot of DMs won't. I tend to not because I feel in the normal character progression characters already receive enough ability score improvement slash feats to make their characters strong and relevant especially due to the fact that i let my characters roll their ability scores right now most of the time you're going to get a especially in the way i let them roll them you're guaranteed at least a 16 which is which is a high score you know to start with and so because the way i do it it, all of them 16 no, or no, at no. least one sixteen. One sixteen. Make sure you get I, at least. A I have 16. them roll their. Yeah, I have them roll their scores, and if the highest they roll is a fourteen, I'll let them change that their highest one to a sixteen. Okay, very cool. Um, just so that you know their characters are relevant, and I think so, word you meant is balanced. Yeah, I guess yeah, and so because of that, I think that they already receive enough ability score improvements and feats to make their characters strong. And to be as powerful as they need to be. So I don't necessarily allow for these lists. Especially because once you... If I allow this character to do it this way... Well, now this guy wants to do it this way. And then someone else wants to do it another way. And so it kind of it kind of snowballs. And you don't want to uh, get in, get yourself on that slippery slope. Because all of a sudden everyone's trying to train all their ability scores at the same time. And getting and someone gets mad if you tell them they can't. But you're letting the other person. Right. I, I agree... 100%. I think that the game already is designed to kind of accommodate that. Yeah. Now, and especially because I give out magic items like free candy. You're like, Oprah, you get a magic item, you get a yeah. magic item, everybody gets a magic well, item today. I, I, love ag- I love magic items, and I think they add a lot to the game, and a lot of, some of them do give you ability score increases. You right. know, some of them increase your strength. Some, so um, I think the fact that I give those out and your normal ability scores, I think, more than compensate for me not allowing this kind of thing. But... As a DM, you can allow this if you want. Yeah, and I think my biggest issue with this is 
in unlike all the other previous editions of D&D, the numbers are meant to be kept small. Right. And because of that, a plus one is a significant increase when you're talking about such low numbers. Without magical items or some special feature, everyone's capped at 20. Right. So to be able to just increase that is kind of absurd. Now, that being said, I wouldn't I think I'd be more willing to let them become pro, you know, proficient in a skill. Yes, which I think they can spend downtime training. Yeah. Which is actually incorporated into the rules. That's about as far yeah, as I that, would be willing to go. That's a very different situation scenario. Right. Though. But as far as raw stats, I wouldn't. Now, if you wanted to say structure an adventure so that, for instance, we'll use the intellect increase where their whole adventure is them becoming smarter. Right. Then you can set adventures based on lore digging and searching through libraries and stuff like that. Uh, but strength would just come from them fighting monsters. You right. know, I don't. But I also see in the realm of the game where it makes sense that if you spend years training and lifting boulders, you're going to become physically stronger. Right. The thing that has always hung me up on something like this is when you hit, you know, when you hit level four and you get that first ability score improvement. You have to make a choice. You either increase your ability scores or you take a feat. Now, if you can just train up your ability scores on your downtime, you can take that feat and you have no opportunity cost because you're already training your ability score up. Right. Which can really break some of the mechanics of the game. Um, So if you are going to incorporate something like this, make sure you set very, you know, clear-cut rules beforehand as to what they can do. Bare minimum or... I wouldn't, if you incorporated something like this, I would never give more than one. Right. And that's it. And it might be, if you decide, you know, the limit is 20, and you decide that they want to spend years training and get it up to a 21, hey, have at it. You know, because the 21 is not really going to affect your modifiers at all. But then they get a magic ability or a feat or something that increases it by another one. They get that extra right. earned uh, modifier. But it's a very touchy area because it's very easy to unbalance. It's very easy to break the, break the mechanics. Right, and to um, unbalance the game in one player's favor over the rest. Yep. I hope that answers your question, Mr. or Mrs. Twitch Bongo Smile. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to say the name again. I, me, yeah, I, I was going to, too, but you beat me to it. So, uh, thank you for your question, and we hope that uh, you are satisfied. Yeah. Because that's what we do here around Crit Academy. We satisfy people. Like a snicker. Like a snicker. (laughs) Moving on to our main topic, we will be discussing the Druid and Ranger at length. So, the Druid is a specific type of spellcaster that, instead of relying on, you know, the power of a deity or arcane magics... Uh, they use the power of nature and commune with net, with the spirits of nature and cast their spells that way. Right, or, or a nature deity or something along yeah. those lines. They really pursue this spiritual unity to become one with the forest type of mentality, or tree hugger mentality, I guess, yeah. if you will. You know, um, Essentially, what a druid's purpose is is to maintain like balance between the elements. Um and so, generally, druids will lean towards lawful good. You know, you don't always have to be lawful good, but you'll lean more towards more lawful than chaotic and more good than evil. Um, because that's generally what they're trying to do, is they're trying to preserve the balance and uh, stop, like, 
elemental cults and stuff from yeah, they, destroying that balance. Yeah, I know that they really uh, fight people who focus on trying to say one element is more prominent yeah. than other. I know that came to fruition in the Elemental Evil uh, yeah. campaign. Quite yeah, that's a bit. much much of what the Elemental Evil was about was evil elemental cults. <laughs> There's the name. Dun, dun, dun. Um, warring with you know druidic tribes. But down to its simples, they are they're spellcasters of varying uh, types, uh, in sh- including uh, in the shape shifting, which is a unique feature to the druid themselves. Yeah, being able to take on the aspects of nature in a way that a barbarian only wishes he could. Right. So the mo- the first defining feature that the druid gets is they know a secret language of the druids. Yeah. Um, much like thieves can't for rogues. Uh, druids can speak Druidic, which is, as you said, a secret language that is known among the Druids, um, which they can use to leave or find hidden messages. Yeah, and uh, people who don't speak Druidic can spot the messages with a you know good enough perception check, but they can't decipher it without magic. Right. So spellcasting, you know, they shocker. Yeah, they. Uh... The druid draws on the divine essences of nature itself, basically, to shape nature's power to their own will. You know, they start off with a couple cantrips. The most powerful one, and the one of note, is shillelagh. It allows them to turn an item into uh, a magical item, but more importantly, it allows you to substitute your regular attack stat with their spellcasting stat. So with a staff, instead of using strength, they get to use their wisdom modifier. As yeah. their attack bonus, which I don't care what class you are. If you're a spellcasting class, that's an awesome ability. So if you can get your hands on it, it's pretty useful. Yeah, uh, produce flames, another useful one. It's kind of the the druid's cl- the closest thing the druid has to like a firebolt. But I like to use produce flame a lot more. At, you know, you can use it to create a light. You can use it to light something. I've used it to you know burn things down. You know, catch things on fire. It's just another really useful cantrip, and you can also use it to attack. Which is, it's 1d8 fire damage, so it's, it's a strong attack. Right. Um, it's a little weaker than Firebolt, but like I said, it also has a lot more uses than Firebolt. Yeah. You're not just shooting a bolt of fire. You can pre- like create a flame that sits in your hand, and you can use it as a light, right. which is really useful. I'd say the more, one of the more uh, useful cantrips that they do have is Guidance, though. Which guidance will, is a good one, too. allows you to add a 1d4 roll oh, I thought Guidance was the first level. That's a cantrip? It's a cantrip. Oh, wow. You get to add it to a 1d4 roll to to anybody's ability ability check, which is awesome when you're trying to pick locks, kick down doors, you know, any of that sort of thing. Even trying to make a bluff check. Yeah. You're just trying to give them guidance in the way of nature, you know? (laughs) (laughs) The natural way of lying. (laughs) So aside from spellcasting, you know, using their wisdom modifiers or spellcasting ability, they get wild shape. Now, this is the staple of the druid, is shape-shifting. They can use their action to assume the shape of a magical beast that they've seen before. Uh, starting out, you can only use it twice, um, but... And you do have rules. It's pretty specific on the limitations, so you don't become, a, you know, a dragon. <laughs> um, so, starting off, for instance, uh, you get this ability at level 2. And at second level, you can your max you can shapeshift into an animal with a max CR rating of one fourth. Which that's isn't not super. I mean, that's not much stronger than your character. Though. Right. That's not very. Or not much impressive. weaker than your character. Um, and there's limitations. It cannot be a flying or swimming. Yeah. So you can turn into things like a wolf. I think a panther is. A panther might be a little stronger, but things like that. Yeah, like a wolf, stuff. you can definitely turn into. Yeah. That is a that's um, a one quarter. I think. Uh, the biggest advantage comes from it, though, is the fact that once you shapeshift, 
you have an entire differently hit point pool than you have from yeah. yourself. Yeah, so if you are in your wild shape and you're a wolf, we'll just go with the wolf example, if you, in your wolf form, hit zero hit points, you don't fall unconscious, you revert back to your normal form at whatever hit points you were when you went into wild shape. So when you're in your wild shape form, you don't take any damage to your normal form. So for instance, let's say you're a level two druid at about 16, no, 16 hit points, and you shift into a wolf, that wolf has 11 hit points. Now, that's what your hit points become. But until those hit points are taken away, it doesn't affect your hit point pool. Yeah. Essentially once, putting once a big those, buffer. Yeah, once those 11 hit points, essentially your effective hit points become 27. Because once those 11, those that wolf's 11 hit points hit zero, you go back to your 16 when you fall out of right. wild shape. And now if damage rolls over, it'll then roll over after right. you lose your buffer. But this is one of the staples that I think that makes the druid so powerful early on. Yeah. Now, it does end up balancing out around level 5 or 6, but early on, it definitely, you become a freaking tank. Yeah. Some other examples, at level 4, you can turn into a CR rating half, so like a crocodile. Yeah. There's a limit. Now it can have swim speed, but you still can't use anything with a flying speed. Right. And then at 8th level, you can turn to a max CR rating of 1. My biggest, the biggest example is a giant bear. You know, that's yeah. probably a giant bear or, or a giant like a eagle. Eagle, because yeah. then you can fly. Right. Which is so, useful, especially if you have, you know those halflings or gnomes in your party that you can then pick up and just carry them around. Yeah. Or you can use it to swoop in and carry enemies away and drop yeah. them off the cliffs and stuff, you know. You can hold that shape for a number of hours equal to half your druid level, so the higher you get up, the easier it is to hold. Now, these aren't just for taking down enemies, you know. Shape-shifting into, like, a spider or something, you can really get the drop on, you know, conversations and, you know, use it for reconnaissance. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the monsters you can change into have blind sight, some have, you know... Dark vision. There's a lot of utility that comes with being able to shapeshift. I know we had a scenario where I took my players onto an adventure and they were kind of spying outside of uh, outside of a barn and they were trying to listen to a conversation that was going on. One of them turned into a spider, crawled through a crack, went from the ceiling, used a spider web to drip down just a few feet above the enemies and figure out what they were after and what they what they what they needed, what they were doing. You know, all this information that. I was planning on giving him a little bit of, but there was no reason I couldn't keep the conversation from him because he was right there. Right. Um, it was a very good use of that mm -hmm. uh, technique. Um, an important thing to realize, though, is you know, when you are in your beast form, you can't use your abilities. Like You can't cast spells. You can't speak. You can't use your hands because they're not hands anymore. They're paws. Uh, you are limited to the things that this beast can do. Yes. Um, you can understand your friends talking to you, but you can't speak you back. You can't speak back, which has caused numerous uh, issues uh, when I was transformed into a bear. Um, it is important to note that if the beast you change into does have hands, you can still use weapons and yeah, stuff. Yeah, so if you turn into like a monkey or right. like a, a primate, I should say. So a beast of sorts that has you know appendages that can Opposable handle stuff. Thumbs yep. and, yeah. You can then do that. When you transform, you either have to drop your loot, your gear, or it melds with your body. I think most people just to choose. Or to you have can it actually, if as long as you are, you can choose to have your beast form wear it too. So if you are turning into some type of primate, that's roughly the same shape, size, and shape as your body, mm -hmm. it could wear it, and you get the effect. You're still proficient of it. Of yeah. it. Yep. Mm -hmm. I just thought of like turning into like a you know, like a chimpanzee or something because they have hands on their feet hold four weapons that would be interesting <laughs> so you're fighting like doing somersaults and shit and you're yeah. you're kicking people in the head with a sword that'd that's hilarious that'd be fun uh it's a good character, character concept, concept. <laughs> um 
when you transform, you you know we talked about the uh, things you get and how the HP transform. You can't cast spells. It is important to know that you can cast a spell before shape shifting and maintain concentration on it. Mm-hmm. And the example that the book uses is Call of Lightning. You call a lightning storm, and then you turn into an animal, and that sto- that'll continue yeah. casting, which is super useful. This also applies to features. You still retain the benefit of any features of your class, race, or other source you can use, as long as this new form is physically capable. However, you do lose it access to special senses, like dark vision or blind sight or anything like right. that, and it's replaced with whatever the form can do. Now... I think this is super important because I built an entire build based on this concept where I took one level in Barbarian and then the rest in my Druid. The one level in Barbarian was strictly for Rage. So I could Rage and then, and then Shapeshift. So now I have resistance to damage. All my attacks have plus two extra damage, making me a much more efficient damage dealer. Right. To me, that's awesome. I can't cast spells, but if I can get a good spell concentrated on and hold it, there's nothing you can't do. Right. Now, so, I sh- we should mention, uh, Wild Shape takes an action, so you would have to do those on different turns. You'd have to cast a spell on one turn and then Wild Shape on the next turn. Yes. Um, but yeah, that is definitely something you can do. So, Druid Circles. These are the type of... They're, they're the Druid fill-in for archetypes, uh, but essentially it's the type of clan that your Druid comes from. Right. Now, there's the Circle of the Land, and there's the Circle of the Moon. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about those after we go through the core abilities because that's yep. where it starts to branch off and be yeah. different. You get your ability score improvements at 8th, 12th, 16th, and 19th level. And we should also mention your wild shape. You At 4th at level, you gain an improvement in your wild shape and you can use it an extra time, as well as 8th level. Alright, so the druid of the circles are basically determines the type of clan or environment that the druid comes from, yep. similar to the archetypes of the fighter or the... Yeah the paths of the barbarian so we'll talk more about those after we go through the core features of the builds yep you get ability score increases at fourth level eighth level 12th 16th and 19th once again you can supplement any one of those or all those with feats if you want yep starting at 18th level you get timeless body which doesn't have a lot of practical application but it's kind of a cool one um because of the magic that you possess your body ages a lot more slowly so for every 10 years that pass you only age one year which is how you can get, you know, those 5,000-year-old druids mm-hmm. that are just obscenely old. Yeah, but combining a, the timeless body with, like, something that's long-lived, like an elf, yeah. is can huge. be very old. <laughs> right. Um, and then you gain beast spells, or also at 18th level, um, where you can use a lot of your druid spells in your wild-shaped forms, um, in any form. I had a lot of fun with this one, so it wasn't directly because I was level 18, but I was a dragonborn, and I was a bear, and I pinned... Two enemies down. And used your breath. And now I conveniently turned into what color bear? White. A polar bear, right? And then, you know, I was a white dragon heritage, so I opened up my maw and breathed out this icicle cone as I had him pinned to the ground. So I can only imagine, and that was a lot of fun. I can only imagine how much fun you could have at level 18, but I've never played a druid that high. Right. But definitely seems like it's very convenient. I can only imagine how stressful a, a little spider on the wall on a tree 30 feet away is constantly channeling something like call of lightning on enemies i mean how do they even deal with that i I imagine it'd be very difficult to know that that's little tiny spider 10 trees over (laughs) is the one casting spells on you so i definitely can see the the utility of that one there is still a caveat to it uh you can't provide material components so you can only use somatic and verbal components which somatic are like things with your hands 
Um, for those that don't know. Yeah. <laughs> verbal is when you talk. Yes. When you make words happen. Which is interesting since you're shaped and can't talk. Yeah. Huh. Kind of a loophole. Uh, maybe you're yelling, yelling in ancient <laughs> scripture. <laughs> and then the final ability of, is the arch druid at level 20, where you can use your wild shape an unlimited number of times. We were just discussing how there's a limit of two. Yep. There you go. I mean, being able to use as much as you want is very convenient because twice per short rest is, is actually pretty good. Yeah, already. but you know, if you get into that big boss fight where you keep getting knocked out. Essentially, this makes you almost unkillable when you think about it. And if you take a large amount of damage that, you know, is able to carry over and kill your normal form too, you can just keep changing into this beast form right. and uh, not actually taking damage to your normal hit points. So, we move on to the... So, you might be wondering why the list is so much shorter for the core ability of druids. It's that bec- That's because their circle really is what determines all the vast majority of their features. Yeah. There's a vast difference between a circle, circle of the land, moon and circle of the yeah. land. Yeah, they're very different. So let's talk about circles. What yeah. are circles? Uh, like, what are druid circles? Yeah. Um, like we said earlier, uh, druidic circles are kind of like the clan or the heritage that your druid comes from. Um, and you have two main ones, at least in this uh, world. Yep, you got Circle of the Land and Circle of the Moon. So, Circle of the Land is the one we'll go through first. They're basically mystics and sages. Mages. Who, they're, spell, they're, they're, more spell, they're more focused on spell casting. And they're mostly guardians of some sort of ancient knowledge or sacred area. Um, that's kind of their thing. They're, they're guardians. Yes, they're very religious, they tend to be. They tend to be run by priests and the religious folk. Um, so... There are eight different uh, circle of the lands you have options you have to choose from. You have the Arctic, which is very big on ice type magic. You have the coast, which is water and illusionary magic. You have the desert, which is also illusionary. You have the forest, which is very planty type stuff like plant growth and bark skin, spider climb. You have grassland, which gives you it's invisibility. Stealthy. Yeah, very stealthy. It gives you invisibility and haste and even divination magic. You have the mountain, which gives you spike growth, lightning bolt, you know, stone shape, and wall of stone. Which is one of my favorite spells in the game, by the way. Oh, yeah? I love wall of stone. Yeah. Most people like to just get stoned. You're right. Listening <laughs> to the wall. <laughs> uh, the swamp druid is very... I mean, the spell they get access to is darkness and insect plague. And then the underdark which gives spider climb and gaseous form and web and cloud kill. Each one comes with its own access to spells. What it does is as you level up, you're allowed access to spells that aren't inherently on the druid, the druid spell yeah. casting list. So really, this is a good opportunity to determine what type of build you want. Now, we're not going to go through naming off every single one. We gave you a few examples. You can find the the entire list on the table on six, page 68 in the player's handbook. But they're very different types of druids depending on the land that they they come from the circle that of the land that they pick yep and as you know as a quick aside be sure you write you know when you're creating your character's backstory you incorporate their circle and their their land circle if you do decide to play a circle of the land druid make sure you incorporate you know if they came from the desert and that's the circle you chose make sure you incorporate that into your backstory i agree you know the way your character behaves and acts So, 
Once you get that at second level, you get a bonus cantrip. allows you to learn uh, one additional cantrip, which we're talking about cantrips. Cantrips are a big deal. Super um, useful. You use them all the time, and they have a lot of utility. They get access to natural recovery at level two, which allows them to kind of meditate and regain some of their, uh, their lost magical energy. In this case, you're recovering spell slots. So we, we gave off a list of the circle of land. So the circle spells you get at third, fifth, seventh, and ninth level, these are unique to the circle uh, of the land area that you chose. And something, an interesting thing about the druids, you know, much like the wizard is, instead of knowing a specific amount of spells, they prepare spells. Right. Um, and an important thing to realize is your circle spells don't count against the spells that you have prepared. Which yes, is, that's good. That's yeah, a big deal. it's, you know... Uh, and you always ha- you always have them prepared. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and you always have them prepared. Yeah. So you know, at third level, you get two extra spells that you don't even have to worry about preparing. Whereas normally at third level, you only have wisdom modifier plus your druid level. Right. So at level three, you have probably a plus three, plus four. Yeah. So you probably have plus, plus, six spells then. Right. Um, six or seven spells, and then you add two more circle spells to that. That's nine spells. <laughs> You're sitting pretty. You're yeah, good. you got quite quite an arsenal at, uh, at your disposal. Yeah. Um, starting at 6th level, you, you unlock Land Stride. And moving across rough terrain that is non-magical doesn't cost you extra movement. And same with moving through uh, non-magical plants. It doesn't slow you down. And you don't take you avoid damage or hazard from them if they have like thorns or spines or something like that. And you also have an advantage on saving throws against plants that are magically created to you know impede you. Like the entangle spell. Entangle, I think, is a popular one. At tenth level, you gain access to nature's ward, which means you can't be charmed or frightened by elementals or fae, um, and you're immune to poisons and disease. Now, to me, this is a big deal because I like to disease and poison my players. Now, that's something I think that if it's getting used enough, this can really shine because mm-hmm. disease isn't something to be taken lightly even with magic if you're out in the middle of nowhere and you've got no way to remove it you probably can die and that's usually when you're going to find your character poisoned or diseased is when they're adventuring out in the middle of nowhere so in nature sanctuary at 14th level natural creatures so non-magical things just beasts essentially um or plant creatures when they attack you they have to make a wisdom dc again a wisdom save against your spell dc i mean if they fail they can't attack you. They either automatically miss or they have to choose a different target. And if they do successfully save, they're immune to that effect for the next 24 hours. Right. But essentially, it's, it's it's to speak to you know your powerful relationship with nature and your connection to the world and the land itself. Which leads us into their next circle, the Circle of the Moon. Now, Circle of the Moon Druids are really fierce. They're protectors and guardians of the wild. You know, they... One night they are prowling the nights as a panther. The next they're soaring over the treetops as an eagle. You know, they, they focus less on direct spell casting and more about living and taking on the form of those, beach, those powerful beasts of nature. So at second level, when you choose this feature, you gain the ability to wild shape as a bonus action. That's huge. a huge difference. Yeah, that's big. I mean, um, that's a sh- shapeshift, move, and attack in the same turn, as opposed to requiring an entire turn out for uh, Druids of the Land. And Circle of the land. when you are wild-shaped, you can use a spell slot to re- to heal yourself. 1d8 per level of spell slot. 
Nice. And that's a yeah, that's a bonus action. So, you know, if you're a higher level and you want to expend a fifth level spell slot to heal yourself, probably not the probably have better uses for that fifth level spell slot, but you can do that. Fifth level spell, boom, you gain five D eight health in the middle of combat. As a bonus action, and you can still take the rest of your turn. In addition, at second level, you gain the right to change into much more powerful beasts. Up to CR rating one. Which at if level you two. Now if correctly, you, that's level eight for Circle of the Land Druids. And just to give you an idea how powerful that is, you can shapeshift into a brown bear. Now, this monster has 34 hit points at level 2. That's a lot. Yes, and it swipes. Again, remember, you probably have about 16. And keep in mind, it also gets it gets multi-attack, which means you can make two attacks in one turn. In one action. Yes, thank you. Yeah. In one action, you get multi-attack, where you can make uh, two attacks, one with bite and one with its claws. That's awesome. Yeah. And all the other features we've discussed in the past, the the pull, the grapple, the push, all those things can be supplemented yeah. by those. So something that used to take two rounds to grapple somebody and push them prone, you can do in a single turn now. Yeah. And bear, the brown bear also has, I believe... Bear a- this in mind. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, his head just sank like six inches. Um, I believe the brown bear has a plus four strength modifier. Yes. And so, remember, you're using that strength modifier. You're making a melee attack. You just got a lot power, a lot more powerful. You right. know, you're doing a lot of damage. And especially if you're, uh, you know, I talked earlier about my barbarian build. You know, when you're doing a contested check with a plus four at level two, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. My oh, and the other thing, it's a large beast. Yeah, one of my favorites is the giant spider. Oh yes, uh, it's also a CR one. Actually, I had a player one time, and you don't have to be Circle of the Moon to do this, but I thought it was a really funny idea. Every time they would tran- like travel, he would transform himself into a pack mule, <laughs> and they would pack all of their stuff on him, and he would you know, hold their gear for him, which I, th- I just thought was cool. That is very cool. Um, so this gives you a lot of power. In addition, starting at 6th level, you gain access to transform into beasts with a challenge rating as high as your druid level divided by 3. So at 6th level, that's 2. Now, just imagine how powerful we were just talking about how the bear is. It only gets better from there. You gain access to a lot of utility, a lot of abilities you wouldn't otherwise have. Now, the real problem comes in is how strict your DM is going to be. What have you seen? Right. You have to have seen the animal for that. So that's a big thing. So there's obviously the monster manual and there's the player's handbook. I gave free roam to my players from the player's handbook. Because they're basic beasts that you would see in the wood, you know, especially as a druid who's probably living in the forest. Right. Um, You would have seen them. You've seen, you know, things like boars and bears and stuff. They're very common animals. Right. And so I even go as far as say if if they've seen like a detailed drawing of one, um, that that can count. Okay. What I've done is that became a, a sort of quest line for my my druid, mm. for my druid player. Just finding different types yes. of beasts. So I would occasionally make sure that I would toss unique monsters that I know they haven't encountered before that she could shapeshift into so she could learn and inquire those abilities. But that's a good jumping off point and being able to use that as a quest reward. Right. And they don't even have to know that it's going to be a quest reward. You can, when they spot it, you can... Surprise them and say, oh, by the way, after defeating this beast, you now have the ability to shapeshift into it. 
and that might catch them off guard if they're not thinking about it right at the top of their head. Right. Because early on, they won't be thinking about it, at least in my game where I gave her access to all those things right away. Now, some of them were limited by her table where she couldn't fly, she couldn't swim early on, but she still would constantly reference that to change into. Yeah, um, and a good way to you know judge things is if they trying to change into something you you know if you want to decide if they've seen it or not and it, you you're kind of on the fence have them make a check make an intelligence check right or a nature check um you know i had a player one time that wanted to turn into a triceratops you know dinosaurs do exist right. in this universe so i was like well make make a history or a nature check Let, let's see if you've ever if you've seen what one looks like she 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 succeeded, succeeded. so she turned into triceratops <laughs> yeah. and that's the other thing you can do you know if somebody wants to shape shift into something make that's them a super weaker, high a you can make form. it a weaker, weaker yeah. version of it moving on at level six you learn primal strike so your attacks in beast form count as magical for the purposes of overcoming resistances and immunities at level 10 you gain access you can expend two uses of wild shape at the same time to transform into an air elemental an earth elemental a fire elemental or a water elemental now we talked how i like grappling i love grappling something as an element and sta- having it stuck inside me yeah um because it takes ongoing damage yeah well really <laughs> a really good one um, you know, if you're in an underdark campaign, the earth elemental is super strong because you can earth meld and you can move through the walls. Oh, that's so you can move through the ground in the cave around you. <laughs> I had a guy he was he was moving around and popping on the ceiling, punching people into the ground and going back up and just moving around like that. And that's an awesome. Um, awesome yeah, it's concept. really strong because when you're in the wall, they can't see you. They don't know where you're at. So you get do you get uh, you get advantage, right? Um, you're an unseen. Attacker. I didn't give him advantage just because what he was doing was already so strong. Um, because he was unhittable. Okay, he didn't need it. <laughs> there was a I watched Yu Yu Hakusho, and there's a bad guy that does that exact yeah. thing. But yeah, um, you know, okay, we're never gonna get through the truth. <laughs> using your different elemental forms can be really fun. Uh, you can do different things with them. You know, if you're a fire elemental, and you pick someone up. You're made of fire. It's gonna right. hurt. <laughs> well, and that's part of their ability too. If somebody starts their turn in your space, right. they take damage. If you're holding on to them. They're going to start in your space because they can't move away. It's not their Uh, choice. So that's a lot of fun. Same thing with drowning. You know, with the water elemental, you can drown somebody just by holding them. And if you're a powerful grappler, man, I'm telling you what, ain't nobody getting away from that shit. And then at 14th level, uh, you 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 gain access to Thousand Forms, which the Alter Self spell, you can now cast at will, which means you can cast as a cantrip, which is... That's awesome. Yeah, because you can change your appearance whenever you want. Very cool. Yeah. So that wraps up the Druid. If there's anything we missed or that we got wrong, please send us a Facebook message or a Twitter or an email. Mail. Send us send us hate mail so I can flush it down the toilet. Send um, it to the circular file. <laughs> 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 All right, so that covers our Druid. Moving on to the, the Ranger. Ranger. The Ranger is, you know, kind of what you expect when you think of... They're exactly what you expect when you think of, like, the Ranger slash Hunter type class in an RPG. Right. They're the scouts that go out and can yeah. go out ahead and climb through the trees and watch for enemies. Yeah, um, you know, some really cool thing, you know, some cool notable features. You know, at first level, you gain a favorite enemy. So you choose an enemy that you've spent a lot of time tracking, hunting, or speaking to. Um, you can choose, you know, aberrations, beasts, celestials, constructs, etc., etc., etc. Or you can choose two different races of humanoids. So you can choose like human, human, and orcs. I always pick human. Yeah. <laughs> That makes sense. I mean, it's useful. Well, my character didn't wasn't much for hunting, so he used it to track people who were missing. Gotcha. Okay. That was his whole concept as a hunter who finds 
finder, you know, yeah. finds people. Yeah. So you can, yeah, kind of like, like a CSI or something. Yeah. Um, you can choose, like, humans and orcs Trademark. if you wanted to. Or you could choose <laughs> oozes, which probably isn't going to be the most useful. But, hey, you know, maybe it fits your backstory. Whenever you make a survival check to track your favorite enemy or an intelligence check to recall information about them, um, you have advantage. And when you gain this feature, you also learn to speak one language that is spoken by your favorite enemy, if they speak one. So, like, if you choose oozes, you're not going to learn a language. If you choose humans, if you don't already know it, you'll learn common. If you choose elves, you'll learn elvish. If you choose orcs, you'll learn orcish. I, I think they get it. Yeah. <laughs> Etc. You gain other en- uh, favorite enemies at 6th and 14th level, and roleplay purposes, try to make your choices reflect monsters you've encountered. Yeah. You know, if you run a campaign where you fight a ton of dragons, maybe dragons should become one of your favorite enemies. Because you've, you've spent so much time fighting them, your character would understand them. Additionally, you gain access to Natural Explorer. This really... You also get a favorite terrain, essentially. Yeah. And you are... Your proficiency bonus when you're tracking things, or trying to survive, I guess, is doubled when you're in your favorite terrain, if you're proficient in that skill already. And if you travel for an hour or more in your favorite terrain, you gain a couple benefits. Travel isn't slowed by difficult terrain. You can't become lost except for magical means. <laughs> um, even when you're in engaged in another activity, you, you remain alert to danger, which means you can't be surprised. If you're traveling alone, you can move stealthily at a normal pace. When you forward, you find twice as much food as you normally would. And while tracking other creatures, you can also learn their exact number, their sizes, and how long ago they passed. This can really F up a plot if the DM's got something planned for you. An because, ambush. <laughs> yeah, if there's an ambush coming and your and you it. natural explorer just, you know, knows. Yeah. <laughs> Guess what? Ambush? Not so much. Yep. <laughs> More and, of a trap for them now. Yep. And then you gain additional favored terrains at 6th and 10th level. First and second coincide with your favorite enemy, and then you actually get your third one before you get your third favorite enemy. Right. At it, level two, you get access to fighting styles, which we discussed in uh, episode 10 when we were discussing the fighter. The ranger has access to archery. Surprise. Shocker. Defense, dueling, and two-weapon fighting. Now, so not as many as the fighter. Right. But. And depending on your build, you pick one of those and go with it. Archery is probably the most common one, um, yeah. but two-weapon fighting is really good, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it really depends on what type of ranger you want to be. Yeah, because you, a ranger doesn't mean you have to use ranged attacks. Right. Don't get that confused. As well, at level two, you gain access to spellcasting. Now, your spell slots, you don't have nearly as many. I think you get you get two first-level spell slots and yeah. three cantrips. You but... more get a couple of utility-based spells because you can try to use some damage spells, but for the most part, your, your spells are for utility purposes. Right. Talking about spells, you know, wisdom is your spellcasting modifier. Uh, the most prominent spell that hunters take often is Hunter's Mark, because yeah. every time they strike an enemy, they do an additional 1d8. As damage. long as you remember to use your Hunter's Mark, which yeah. a lot of people will forget. And as a DM, don't be leaning on that. If they forget to cast it, they forgot to cast it. Right. Um, or if they forget to move it. Yes. Because when an enemy dies, you can use a bonus a- Bonus. Bonus. <laughs> when an enemy dies, you can use a bonus action to move it to another target. Yep. Make sure they remember that stuff. And, yeah, because it's not your job to track your player's abilities. Um, you sound like a union member. Yeah, it's not my job. <laughs> I hate when people say that, like in real life. Yeah, they have shirts at work. It drives me nuts. Yeah, it's not my job. Your job is whatever the damn they're paying you to do. Right, whatever your <laughs> boss tells you to do is your job. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> end rant. 
Uh, so speaking of spellcasting, another useful one. It's a third level, so you can't get it until a little later. A uh, lot later. Which would be level, ninth level, but lightning arrow. It's a really fun one. Oh yeah, why? Because well, one, it makes you do more damage, and everyone loves. <gasps> That's doing, always good. Everyone loves tons of damage. Yeah. Um, so does Hunter's Mark. Yeah, but yeah, you can get that level. level you can two. shoot lightning, and you feel like Zeus. That's true. Yeah. That is awesome. You can shoot a lightning bolt at somebody, essentially. Yeah, that's very cool. Or, if you happen to be fighting in water, shoot the water. Like very that. Cool. Remember that campaign we ran with where the wormlings were jumping out of the water and yes. knocking you in? Wouldn't lightning arrow have been yeah. useful there? <laughs> well, my pole arm dealt with those bitches. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. At third level, you get to pick a ranger archetype. Woo! Yeah, we'll discuss the archetypes yeah, there uh, after are we go through the core abilities. Three or two? I Only two. Hunter and Beastmaster. So at level three, you get access to... Primeval Awareness. You can use your action and expend a spell slot to focus your awareness on the region around you. And you can essentially sense whether there are certain creatures within a mile of you. Or, if you're in your favorite terrain, six miles. Which is big. Um... So, you know, essentially... If it's Where's within, Waldo, anybody? If it's within six miles of you, you have a 12-mile diameter. That A circle is po- focused on you with a 12-mile diameter. That's huge. It's a big area. Yeah. Well, if you're in your favorite terrain, that is. Um, if you're not, it's still two miles. I it's, always take favorite terrain forest because that's where I always need it the most. <laughs> Can you use city as favorite terrain? Urban? I don't see yeah. why not. That'd be useful. I, I don't I would allow it. Yeah, I would too. You'd be like more like a green arrow type build. Yeah. Yeah. Tracking humans. Yeah. yeah. Like a green arrow, maybe like a uh, hashtag character concept. Maybe trademark. Like a, like a Assassin's Creed type thing. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't that be more of a rogue though? But I mean like the city Yeah, do wheel. Yeah, so yeah. city environment. Alright. So primeval awareness, pretty cool. Pretty OP. Yep. Um, again, ability score increases like every other class. Um, you get them at 4th, 8th, 12th, 16th, and 19th. Um, and as normally, can't increase above 20. At 5th level, you gain access to extra attack. This includes your bow, your yep. knife, your dagger, your whatever. whatever. it is you're using. 8th level, you gain land stride. Hey, that sounds familiar. As you'll remember from the druid. You get at 8th level, we've already discussed, you know, travel, moving through non-magical difficult terrain costs you no extra movement. Essentially, it makes moving easier. So, in addition, you have advantage in saving throws against plants that are magically created or manipulated to impede your movement, such as the Entangle spell. Yep. At tenth level, you gain access to Hide in Plain Sight, which is really cool. Um, think of that scene in the Hunger Games, where Peta is lying in the in the riverbed, kind of camouflaged Just with mud. Just around the riverbed. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. That's essentially what this spell is. You can use mud or dirt or plants to naturally camouflage yourself and press up against the wall and just kind of, like, hide there. Like, I'd say the one that I remember the most would be from Predator, where Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. swims in the mud and, and pins up against the tree. <laughs> oh, Arnold. You gain a plus 10 to stealth checks as long as you re- remain there without moving or taking actions. It can be useful, but you can also still roll a 1, so keep that in mind. Ones happen. <laughs> they sure do. Uh, at 14th level, you gain access to vanish. This allows you to <laughs> this allows you to use hide as a bonus. I just vanished, in case you're wondering what that was. Allows you to use hide as a bonus action on your turn. You also can't be tracked by non-magical means unless you choose to leave a trail. Now, I had a lot of fun with this. 
I bought powder. I was a wood elf. Wood elves can hide in lightly obscured area. Right. So my character would throw a throw up a uh, and an exploding a, a light, an exploding puff of powder, and it would lightly obscure everything, and I could hide. Now. <laughs> You can argue whether that's legal or not, but it's really up to the DM. But that's a unique way to do that. Or if you just stand behind somebody bigger than you. Right. <laughs> At 18th level, you gain access to feral senses. And essentially, when you attack a creature that you can't see, the fact that you can't see it doesn't impose disadvantage on your attack rolls. And you're aware of the location of any invisible creature within 30 feet of you, assuming that it, that creature isn't hidden and you're not blinded or deafened. Which can be super useful. There is a specific creature in the monster manual called an invisible stalker. Which we've discussed. Yep, which I believe we've discussed on here. I've used before. That can make fighting those a hell of a lot easier. Right. And, Um, you know, it also applies to things, you know, because you can't see them, you know, assassins trying to get the jump on you. You know, stalkers in general, not just the invisible ones. It really, (laughs) it's great for anti-trap. If you don't have the alert feet, this works too. Yeah. And then at level 20, you get access to Foe Slayer. You become an unparalleled hunter of enemies. On each of your turns, you can add your wisdom modifier to damage or your attack roll. As long as it's your favorite enemy. But you need to know before the effects or results are applied. This way you don't change your mind. Yeah, so you can't <laughs> say, oh, so, oh, this guy's almost dead, so I'm going to do this. Oh, he didn't die? Well, now I'm going to add this damage. I mean, just to, just to give you an idea, I mean, your chance to miss really goes down. Yeah. Let's assume for a second at level 20 you have plus 6 proficiency. Let's say you're just rocking a 20 dex, right? That becomes 11. Plus, let's say you have the archery. Brings up to a 13. You have a plus 13 to hit. Now, with this... With, with Foe Slayer, you get to add another 5 to that. You have an 18 to hit on your die. Well, your wisdom modifier is probably not a five. Right, it's right. their second. It's so it's probably, probably like a three, maybe. Well, still, it's plus three. It's 16 to hit. Jeez. Oh, it's if, disgusting. Yeah, you know, if you roll anything... Mind okay. you, dragons have like a plus 24 to AC. Right. So if you roll an eight or higher, you're going to hit most things in the game. Yeah. Which is pretty awesome. Yeah. So moving out of the archetypes, there are two. There's the hunter and the beastmaster. Now... Generally, the hunter is the more preferred for its mechanical ability, but I think the Beastmaster is really underappreciated and has a lot of cool roleplay. I would agree. Value. Well, and there, it's a support class. Yeah. And that's why most people go hunter. Because yeah, you use, you actually, when you use the Beastmaster, you use it effectively. I use it for cool purposes. Um, <laughs> You're saying my effectiveness is not cool? <laughs> well, my pets don't really do anything, they're just kind of there. They're, they're not in combat. Oh, yeah, not like, not like Obama swooping in and shitting in somebody's face to create that, advantage. That, that's right. He said Obama. That is what he said. You did not hear that wrong. Um, <laughs> no, mine, I'm always afraid my pet's going to die. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> well, summon a new one. I'm, I'm atta- I can't summon them. I have to tame it. Yeah, you got to go find it. Whatever. <laughs> I'm attached to my pets, okay? Yeah, whatever. Um, all right, so moving on to the first one is the hunter. At third level, you gain uh, the Hunter's Prey ability. Now, there's three different choices here. You have Colossal, which is inflicts extra damage when the target isn't at full health. This is probably the more preferred one, just because the vast majority of the time, it's just an outright extra 1d8. Yeah, unless you're the first you're the person, person to attack. To yeah. Yeah. Giant Killer uh, is a really good one. When a large or bigger creature within five feet of you hits or misses you, 
um, with an attack, you can use your reaction to attack them back. Keep in mind, though, if you're using like the art, if you're using a bow, this isn't that effective because they have to be within five feet of you to get the effect, which means you have disadvantage on your attack. It's true, but if you're as long as most archers are wielding an extra weapon yes. too. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes. I would hope most of the time. Mine don't. Yeah. Well, don't hope it don't break. Yeah, I know. <laughs> You'll just fashion one out of a they're, plant. They're a one-trick pony. Uh, most of my characters are one-trick ponies. They do one thing, and that's it. <laughs> and then the third one is the Horde Breaker. This is really good for dealing with uh, when you run into a lot of encounters with groups because it allows you to make an uh, additional attack to a target within five feet of the original. So essentially getting two shots off. Yeah. So um, that's pretty awesome. Yep. At seventh level, you gain defensive tactics. Escaping the horde. Yep, escape the horde. Opportunity attacks against you have disadvantage, which just makes you can run away from people easier or more easily. Yep. Multi-attack defense. When a creature hits you with an attack, you gain plus four to bonus AC against all attacks made by that creature for the rest of the turn. Yeah. It's basically to reduce the incoming damage. And the last defensive tactic is steel, steel will. will. Jinx. Double jinx. Coke. You can have one when you leave. Yeah. <laughs> you have advantage on saving throws against being frightened. Uh, that's just useful. That's really good when you start to fight larger monsters like dragons yeah. and stuff because a lot of them have frightened. Yeah, personally, my favorite of these two are Horde Breaker and Escape the Horde um, because because you only get to choose one of each. Right, right. Um, so Horde Breaker is just nice because it increases your ADR. Um, average yeah. damage per round is what ADR is. And Escape the Horde is the good. more you know. Especially because, like I said, I tend, you know, my... my If I play, like, a ranged or an archery... An archer, like a bow using ranger i tend to make him very bad at using melee weapons and so oh don't get me started on that like a quirk and so talk about my dragoon yeah my uh, ranger that can't shoot shit with a bow and so if something gets close to me my guy's screwed so i want to get away right so escape the horde is really nice because well i can just walk 10 feet away the risk yeah the risk you're gonna get shot is uh really low yeah or get hit so moving on at 11 at 11th level you get access to multi-attack now, this is different than extra attack. Yep. So you gain one of the two following features. Volley or whirlwind attack. So volley, you can use your action to make a ranged attack against any number of creatures within 10 feet of a point you can see within your weapon's range. This is like an arrow version of fireball. Yeah, you have to have ammo for each target. And you make a separate attack that for anyway. each target. Yeah, a lot of a lot of DMs don't. I generally just... I was for a while. What I do is I just, every time they're in town, I make them spend X amount on arrows. Mm-hmm. Just to keep it simple. You know, every mm-hmm. time you're in town, give me two silver pieces. For a long time, I, I tracked that because I thought that them only having one quiver was interesting because it only holds 20 arrows. And right. my players would run it and start to run out until they just said, well, I'll just carry two quivers. I'm like, well, shit. Yeah. <laughs> so... Very uh, useful attack, very powerful, yeah. great for destroying minions and, and weaker Yeah, I've mobs. actually also given out like, magical quivers that just don't run out of ammo. Yeah, there, there's one um, in the DMG which for it, that. It's just a quality of life thing. You know, it's not actually breaking the game, really, because like you said, most people don't track arrows anyways. So. Yeah, I think we. I, I like the idea of just making them spend upkeep yeah. to make sure they've got That's what they generally need. What I'd... I might actually steal that, because I don't know that I've... I don't. I think I've done that a couple times, but I don't think I've maintained it. Right. I like the idea where rations and stuff you automatically get rope and all. These I also things. allow them if they want to save the money to spend downtime fletching. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the next one is whirlwind attack, where you can use your action to make a melee attack against any number of creatures within five feet of you, with a separate attack roll for each. This is really nice if you're getting jumped. 
So if you're getting mugged on. Yeah, my pole arm wielder had this. And yes, my Ranger was a pole arm wielder. Um, I like the idea. It struck me and it worked great. The only thing that made me sad is that it is a, a five foot limit, but my char- whole character's idea was to stop people in their tracks. So he would try to get into a position where he could hit multiple targets with his whirlwind attack. So a 1d10 in your face is quite a bit of damage mm-hmm. um, when you're fighting multiple enemies. So Yep. Uh, at 15th level, you gain access to superior hunter's defense. Um, you gain access to either ev- evasion, standing against tighter, uncanny dodge. Um, two of those you probably remember from the last episode when we talked about the rogue. Evasion, anytime you're subjected to an effect that allows you to make a dex save. A fail, on a fail you take half damage, and on a success you take zero damage. That's awesome. Yep. And uncanny dodge, anytime an attacker that you can see you hit you with an attack, you can use your reaction just half the damage once a turn. Or no, not, no, not once a turn. Not once Whenever. a turn. Whenever you want. But you only get one reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it is. Okay, so, yeah, so, it is once a turn. Um. <laughs> okay, and then the last one is Stand Against the Tide, which essentially is a redirect. When an attack misses you, you can use your reaction to force it to make that same attack against another creature other than itself. Hopefully this would be another enemy, <laughs> not, a, not an ally, but... You can play the not drunk, that dwarf in your party. That you can you play can't the stand. Dr- play the drunken card where I defend with my bow and push the bl- uh, blow to the side. Oh, I'm sorry. Did it hit you? Uh, that's a very fun one, I think. Uh, though I think evasion probably wins out most of the time. For probably. That one. Um, so that's it for the hunter archetype. Yeah, you have a lot of choices. <laughs> yes. Uh, every hunter Will be feature different. is a choice. So every hunter is going to be different. And that's what makes the hunter a lot of fun. Unless is. everyone's optimizing, then they'll probably yeah. be the exact same. But. Well, it depends because you know Horde Breaker is going to be a lot better for certain encou- certain types of encounters, whereas Giant Slayer, or I mean, uh, Colossus Slayer, is far better for different like boss fight encounters. The next one is Beastmaster. This is all about the embodiment of a friendship between a beast and man. At third level, you gain access to a beast companion uh, that basically accompanies you on your adventures. Um, their CR rating is only one quarter, but your, you know, you might get something like a mastiff or a hawk or a wolf or a panther. Um, your proficiency bonus basically uh, improves all the facets of that minion and helps them become stronger, so they grow with you. They basically o- obey your commands to the T, pretty much. Yeah, I actually um, personally bend the rule a little bit there. I, I allow up to one CR, but at the first couple levels, I scale the stats down um, because a really common one that people want to use is a bear, and I think a bear is fair. I think that's a fair pet for a hunter, I or think, for a ranger. Yeah. So I, at first, I scale all the stats down, and then the normal stat progression occurs. So do you just use the stats of another monster and call it a bear, like a wolf? I didn't, but I could have done that. Seems like it'd been easier. Yeah. I don't really think of things the smart way. I tend to give myself more work. Yeah, no, I'm not a fan. I love reskinning. We've had that conversation. Yeah, reskinning um, is the best. Yeah. So, and keep that in mind when you're when you're rolling up your Beastmaster. If there's a minion you want that isn't in the book or you can't have, ask your DM if you can reskin it. Yeah. And use the stats from this monster, but it looked like this. Yeah. This minion is allowed to take all the traditional actions. It can take the attack action, the dash, disengage, dodge, and help. Now. Once you have the extra attack feature... Yeah, it's important to mention that that your beast using those actions consumes your action. 
So you use your action to yes. tell your pet to do those things. So once you once you uh, gain access to the extra attack, you can then attack and then tell your pet to attack. Or tell your pet to hide or tell your pet to dash or tell your pet to do whatever you want while you also get to make an attack yourself. Uh, I changed this as a home rule because it is very well known that the Beastmaster initially is weaker than the rest of the classes. Mm -hmm. So I actually allow them to choose one of the actions as a bonus that's not attack. attack. So essentially what it allows them to do is mostly it gets used for the help action. You know, they're running in there, they're gnawing on the guy, trying to distract him, smashing into him, flittering in their face, granting advantage to somebody. That, to me, made it significantly more balanced without making it overpower by giving it its own attack. There is work being done by wizards to really get a handle on the Beastmaster and bring it up to par. Yeah. And in fact, I do think they just released an Unearthed Arcana that I didn't get a chance to look at yet that actually is a, uh, a new version of the Beastmaster. In addition to the reimagining Unearthed Arcana they released a few months ago. So, um, But definitely, it is definitely a little bit weaker than the Hunter archetype. And so if you're willing to, if your DM's willing to allow you to reflavor a little bit to use your bonus action so you can do the other actions, the move, the help, the, you know, that definitely can balance it out and make it a little more engaging. Well, and that's actually, you gain that ability at level, at 7th level. You already gain that ability at 7th level, so essentially you're just giving access to that ability a little sooner. Well, there you have it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's called exceptional training, and you can use your bonus action to do anything except for the attack action. But you can only do it if they don't use your if you if they don't attack. Right, I knew that, and I think I gave them the access to the attack yeah. action at that level because I think they made it to level eight on that character. Okay. But at eleventh level, you gain bestial fury. Uh, your companion can use two attacks. And you Sounds like a porn. Bestial fury. <laughs> um, <laughs> when you tell your beast to use the attack action, it can make two attacks. <laughs> Um, so essentially your beast gets the extra attack as well. So now with extra attack, you can make one range attack and then have your beast make two. Right. Which is useful. Very useful. And then share spells at 15th level. You can cast a spell targeting yourself. When you cast a spell targeting yourself, rather. You can also affect your beast companion if the spell, with the spell, if the beast is within 30 feet of you. That's fantastic. So that is it for the ranger archetype. Once again, if there's anything we missed or things you disagree with us on, please let us know. Let us hear your thoughts. We want to yeah. be able to share knowledge. We are not the masters of this game. We do not know everything. We're Absolutely players not, and DMs yeah. that wanted to talk to people about how we play and hopefully share some knowledge with you. Um, please let us know. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that is it for our main topic of the day. Our third segment, the Unearthed Tips and Tricks. Our first Unearthed Tips and Trick is the character concept. Now, I came up with this because apparently I like Shrek, I guess. I don't know. But envision, you know, a village where on the outskirts of a village is this little uh, forest. And in that or in, is the swamp. And in the swamp is this grumpy, angry orc who doesn't really want anything to do with anybody for no reason. He's a little bit on the slow side. His intelligence isn't super high. But, uh, you know, he only cares about protecting himself in a swamp from the outsiders. But he ends up stumbling, you know, he's kind of a few bogs short of a full swamp. <laughs> I don't know where I got that from. <laughs> um, but he ends up discovering either, in this case we'll use a sentient sword. He ends up discovering a, a, a sword that used to, a sentient sword that used to belong to a holy paladin. Or you could use some sort of innocent child or person he comes to know and... Yeah. encourages him to be good. You know, that village starts to get raid, raided by, you know, 
you know, goblins and either the sword, uh, his will is propelling him or maybe this innocent child says, Mr. We got to protect him. We got to protect, you know how that innocent child is. You got to, you got to do the right thing. And it's constantly encouraging him to help the nearby, you know, village. And at first, you know, the people are afraid of him. You know, they know of his story that he's scary. He's big and monster, but gradually he starts to do nice things. It starts with maybe helping with a, a, a raid on the village or, you know, uh, and a wagon breaks down on a wheel, so he picks it up and it carries it for him. You know, he starts to get encouraged to do these really good things. So this orc, who everyone's afraid of, who's a little bit derpy, <laughs> I don't, it's a politically correct name. I should use a different word. Is a little bit, you know, mentally deficient. Starts to become good and starts to break that trope that orcs are bad. Or does in this he case, hold the use door. It. Does he hold the door open for people? Oh, hold door. <laughs> See what you did there. <laughs> So, in this case, you probably use a half-orc, because yeah. that's actually a, the stat in the player's handbook, but he started off with this mangled life and didn't care about anybody, but either through meeting of a magical weapon or some innocent or lost child, or a Goliath, yeah, yeah, there you go, something that people would be frightened of, mm-hmm. but he t- slowly becomes good just because of whatever is prodding him to do so. Yeah. And leads him to becoming maybe a, a, a cleric or a or a paladin. Yeah, or, you know. um, this is something you'd want to uh, arrange with your DM first because oh, of sure. the fact that the entire backstory is arranged around a magic item. Well, the, um, it, it can, doesn't have to have any bonuses to be sentient right. either, so that's yeah. the other thing to keep Well, in. maybe it will, and maybe your right. DM will recognize that and you know, allow you to have something, right. you know, even if it's a something. small bonus. Um, because you could even forgo the first stat increase or something. You can you right. can always work something out. I know this revolves around a little bit of something. Or this could be an NPC, you know. Maybe the, the players are part of that village. Yeah. And, you know. Any of these character concepts can be NPCs, you know. The right. character concept tip goes for DMs as well. If you want to run your characters into one of these people. Right. You know. The, these can be fun players or fun characters to encounter. Yeah, I mean, the idea that... If the players are in this village and they've constantly there's they hear terrors of this swamp monster and he's big and bad and great you know they get lost and they he helps them home right. <laughs> or you know they they get attacked and their parents are murdered and this guy this big giant comes flying out of the trees yeah uh, a mean or mean looking scary looking orc comes and protects them I'll help you you know something along those lines. It definitely cr- can create a, uh, a good starting jumping off point for a campaign, too. Um, so that is our character concept. The So that is our character concept, the converted orc. Um, our encounter is a bit of a kind of a game of strength between two combatants. Combatants maybe isn't the best word. Two individuals um, who are likely intoxicated. And, you know, they're pitted against each other over... Some type of pit, you know, whether it's just mud or sledge or if it's a little more deadly or it's spikes or acid or, you know, something that might actually cause serious harm. Um, There's a wooden plank that lays across the pit. Both uh, combatants have their hands tied behind their back and essentially the first one to fall loses. It's extremely simple. Obviously, without hands, this exchange becomes pretty comical pretty quick. You know, with body checks, foot stomps, kicking in the groin, you know. Right. All these different ways of trying to knock somebody out aside from just traditional grappling or punching. Yeah, this is a really cool thing uh, that you can use as a DM if, you know. It's common when 
players walk into a tavern that they get challenged to some type of contest. Right. This can be one of those contests. Yeah, if this is a small town, this could be their their historic. Yeah, it's really common to use like the arm wrestling or use you know a fight, you know wrestling and stuff like that. Um, This is just a a more unique thing that you can use to uh, to make create a more memorable experience. Yep, that wraps up our encounter of the podcast, the uh, Sludge Pit. So our next Unearthed Tips and Trick is a new one. I decided to add this because I have a million of them, so why not? Right. Uh, I'm big on Monster Variant. I reflavor stuff, and I add features. Now, this does change the challenge rating slightly, but most of it isn't too much. I, I'm pretty... I'm not big on necessarily giving extra more damage per round, Right. Um, I like to try to do that to keep it the same DC. I don't increase their stats or anything, but I give them special abilities. So our first monster variant is the Cobalt Slinger. Essentially, this is designed just to make it a little more interesting and a little more variation in your in your Cobalts. Right, because you really just have the Cobalt. Right. They all do the same thing. It's a lot more fun if, they, right. if you have Cobalts that do different things. Yeah. So this doesn't alter the stat block at all. It just gives them a new feature. So this new feature is called Special Shot. Basically, the Cobalt Slinger can fire special ammunition from its sling. I would say typically they carry maybe three or four of these, not too many, of the chosen type that we have listed that we have listed here. Now, you can either have them have all of them or just one of them or some kind of mixture of the different ones. The special uh, shot is just basic off a regular attack. They make their attack. When they hit, this additional effect takes place. The first shot is Stink Shot. Basically, when they hit the target with the sling... The player must ma- or the enemy must make a Constitution save, or they have disadvantage on their next attack roll. So it's not really a damage increase; it's a stink bomb that distracts right. the player and weakening them their chance to deal damage. Yeah. Um. Another one is fire shot. You know, this one is a damage increase, um, and they take an additional one d six fire damage. Any flammable objects in the area that aren't being worn or carried are ignited, which can really wreak havoc right especially if they keep launching them in a city environment yeah Yeah, in a tavern or something like that where i guess you're probably not gonna be fighting kobolds in a tavern but in a city area you know if that hits a building or you know a thatched roof starts burning yep and that's important we've discussed how important it is to make sure that those those after effects environmental effects happen are yeah it's very important um and this is the glue shot where the target's restrained um and a creature can use its action to make a strength check and if they're successful, they're no longer restrained. But if not, they're stuck in this glue, which... Once again, it's not... Instead instead of the Cobalt just doing extra damage, they are trying to have more of a controller-type role right. where they can manipulate the, the battlefield. I can only imagine if you got three mages that get caught in this stuff. I mean, yeah. they're going to have to... They're going str- to really struggle. Yep. Uh, and keep so. in mind, someone else can help them out. Right, right. But you can always use the help action. them to stop what they're doing. Right. And I've got the, I set the DC for these to 14, but you can really set it to whatever level yeah. you want. That's whatever really you up see to you. fit with mm-hmm. the strength of your party. So that is our new Unearthed Tips and Trick, the Monster Variant, Cobalt Slinger. Use it, love it. Please send me feedback on this if you like it, if you use it. I'd love to hear it. Let me know your thoughts. That goes for any of these, honestly. Right. Um, the character concept, the encounters, the magic items. Um... I had a buddy text me the other day. He's like, dude, I'm listening to episode three, and I love the wizard debt thing. <laughs> He's like, oh, my God, I don't know why I didn't think of it. Yeah. <laughs> Our magic item of the podcast is a bit of a fun one. Um, we're calling them the earrings of telecommunication. <laughs> Essentially, they're a 
pair of earrings that act as communication devices. So one person wears one and the other person wears another. And you can, they have one D4 charges, so roll a D4, that's how many charges they have, and you regain these charges in the long rest, right? Right. And so what you can do is you can cast the sending spell to another creature without using a spell slot through these earrings. But instead of the 25-word limit that the text describes, it's one minute. Yeah. Um, so, so essentially you can send a one-minute message to the other earring. Yeah, basically you're making a small phone call. Yeah, um, across long distances. Right, and it's very useful for when groups get separated, or you want to, or you want to have someone scout ahead and scouting ahead is see a good what's one. going on up in front, uh, up ahead of you. Another thing to use it is is you could leave it back at a home base to some sort of quest giver or noble or somebody who's really giving the commands and the orders to really send a live feed right. of what's going on or a constant update. So. It's not quite as uh, potent as some of the spells that they have access to, but you know, magic items are supposed to be cool like that. Yeah. But it's a good way to allow communication over long distances without really breaking the game. Yep. That's our uh, magic item of the podcast, the earrings of telecommunication. <laughs> I feel like I should have came up with a better name than that. <laughs> if you have a better name for that, let us know. <laughs> so our Dungeon Master tip of the podcast is guiding new or young players. A really easy way of guiding younger and unexperienced players, and I know this is kind of something we harp on a lot, but right. it, it is a really big thing that a lot of people struggle with. Yes. Um, and so create a support minion that is essentially just there to help out the party. You know, a really good example was the first game I ever played, not the first game, one of the first games, we had a cleric named Horus that came with us. Uh, Miss Horus, he was a good guy. Much like Navi and Zelda. Someone who follows you is part of your party and helps out. You know, they don't have to have a combat role. Um, They could be a minion, like a flying dragon, like Mushu from Mulan. Yeah, 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 that's a good one. Maybe they have some different, some certain skills that players don't, like picking locks or, you know, detecting magical auras or, you know, tracking enemies or finding... The idea is to give the the DM something to channel uh, direction from. Now, this isn't something that's usually encouraged, but I find with new people, it really helps. Yeah. And plus, if you can make them tied to it and then kill that player off or kill that character off, it can really pull at the heartstrings. And create the story arc. Right. But this is supposed to be a really good way to kind of give advice to what they should be doing without directly telling them. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's very, very important that as a DM, you don't make that character outshine the rest. And it's also very easy to use that character to accidentally railroad Railroad them. people, yeah. If that character just starts that. doing what they're supposed to be doing, they're like, oh, well, let's just follow him. Yeah, but if you use you use it like a Mushu, you know, hey, I think we should go check that out. Yeah. And they say no, well, okay then. You know, yeah, if, go with that. Yeah, but. don't, you generally don't want to make this character do something unless one of the other players tells or asks them to, but you can use this character to suggest ideas. Right, and give options. Yeah. It's, a, it's basically... You can use it to give them a three-way split, right? Yeah. All right, so we know this. What do you guys think about these options? Yeah. Um, but it's like I said, you don't want to railroad. You don't want to railroad them into that. But it's definitely a good way to get new players and young young players specifically into the idea of thinking for themselves and what the game is about. Yeah. Um, that is our dungeon master tip of the podcast: the guiding NPC. Our player tip of the podcast is: don't, don't be, be a, a dick. dick. And you can avoid being a dick by... Not metagaming. Yes, we've um, talked about this quite a few times yeah. on the show. Uh, metagaming is something that... It's always going to happen. 
you know, there's always going to be some level of metagaming. Um, but you can kind of mitigate it as much as you can by asking yourself certain questions when you're making decisions. The big one is, is, you know... What does my character know? Yeah, what does my character know about this situation? Yeah. How... Because, you know, the big common one, for example, you know, the troll. Everyone knows trolls, you know, are weak against fire. You know, that's right. how you get past the regeneration and whatnot. But if you go in and fight a troll as a player, well, you already know that. know that. Yeah, and you have to ask yourself that. You don't shouldn't have to make the DM say, well, how would you know that? You should already be thinking that before you just start switching a weapon. Now, if you're always using a fire weapon, that's one thing. Right. Yeah, if you're a mage, or a, a mage, like a sorcerer whose primary damage spell is firebolt, right. then that's fine. You don't have to... Think twice when you catch But if you're fighting, shooting normal arrows for the last five levels, and, and all, all of a sudden, decide, just, I'm going to catch on fire. On fire. <laughs> you know, right. you don't want to do that. Um, you want to try to avoid that because the DM puts a lot of work into some of this stuff. And from, for you guys to let that information that your characters don't know leak really makes it harder for him to build an engaging encounter without you making it super easy. One thing you can even ask yourself and then even ask your DM, hey, I think my character would know this because and give reasons why you think you would know something mm-hmm. as opposed to, well, I just know that, you know, cause otherwise you're going to change your, and, it, and I'm, don't get me wrong. It's hard. It's hard to not make decisions based on player knowledge versus yeah. character knowledge. But if you constantly are reminding yourself, Hey, you know, how would, what would my character do? Because I'm lawful good. How would I handle this situation? Right. Not I'm lawful good. I have to handle it this way. Mm-hmm. You know, or uh, or something similar. What, what would this make my character feel? Oh, that's a good one. And then react based on what your character would feel. That's especially fitting for like uh, like what you were like being lawful good. You know, if the damsel in distress comes and wants help, you know, how would your character feel about that, and what emotional reaction would he yeah. have? You really asking yourselves little questions, you know, like these will really help you mitigate the meta gaming and make the game more engaging. Mm-hmm. So that's our player tip of the podcast. Don't, Don't be, be a, a dick, dick, and you can avoid dickitude by not meta gaming. So that's our episode of the day. Hope you join us on our next episode where we hear feedback um, from you, our heroes, and we'll take an in-depth look at the cleric and the paladin. So we hope you enjoyed your experience here at the Crit Academy. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help others find our show by leaving a hopefully five-star review on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Libsyn. You can also subscribe to us so that we can help you on your future adventures. If you have any questions you want answered or subjects you'd like to hear us discuss, please leave us feedback on Twitter and Facebook at Crit Academy, or you can email us at critacademy at gmail.com. Make sure to visit our website at www.critacademy.com where you can support us and find great tools to enhance your game. Also, make sure to sign up for our newsletter. Our newsletter, You could have a chance to play with us and maybe win some prizes. Yes. I am your host, Justin. And I'm your co-host, Ryan. Thanks for listening. Keep your plays sharp and spells prepared, heroes. Heroes.